Good afternoon. My name is Josh, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Electronic Arts First Quarter Fiscal Year 2023 Earnings Conference Call. Mr. Chris Evenden, Vice President, Investor Relations, you may begin your conference. Thank you. Welcome to EA's First Quarter Fiscal 2023 Earnings Call. With me today are Andrew Wilson, our CEO, Chris Sir, our CFO, and Laura Miani, our COO. Please note that our SEC filings and our earnings release are available at ir.ea.com. In addition, we have posted detailed earnings slides to accompany our prepared remarks. Lastly, after the call, we will post our prepared remarks, an audio replay of this call, our financial model, and a transcript. With regards to our calendar, our Q2 Fiscal 23 earnings call is scheduled for Tuesday, November the 1st. As a reminder, we post the schedule of our entire fiscal year of upcoming earnings calls on our IR website. This presentation and our comments include forward-looking statements regarding future events and the future financial performance of the company. Actual events and results may differ materially from our expectations. We refer you to our most recent Form 10-K for a discussion of risks that could cause actual results to differ materially from those discussed today. Electronic Arts makes these statements as of today, August 2, 2022, and disclaims any duty to update them. During this call, the financial metrics, with the exception of free cash flow, will be presented on a gap basis. All comparisons made in the course of this call are against the same period in the prior year, unless otherwise stated. Now, I'll turn the call over to Andrew. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here with you all. We delivered a strong performance across our business in Q1. Our broad IP portfolio, our amazing talent, and our growing network of players deeply engaged in our live services all serve as unique structural advantages, especially as we navigate the fluidity of the macro environment. While we recognize there is more uncertainty in the market, our teams are focused on what they do best, delivering amazing games and services that keep our players engaged, connected, and inspired as we take entertainment and play to the next level. Our portfolio of sports and owned IP franchises continues to power resilience and longevity in our business. EA Sports and Racing is a growth center, with franchises that are at the heart of how sports fandom is becoming increasingly interactive. F122 sales are up double digits launched to date, and the sport continues to boom, especially with younger fans. Our EA Sports FIFA franchise is exceptionally strong on a global basis, with record business for Q1 in Asia, significant growth in mobile, with DAUs up another 10% over last quarter, and FUT engagement growing nearly 40% year-over-year, which is well above the industry average. We're going from strength to strength in EA Sports, including Madden NFL 23 just weeks away and our most expansive FIFA game ever coming this fall. Sports is the ultimate evergreen form of entertainment, and our new cross-media partnership with La Liga perfectly illustrates how we continue to innovate at the forefront of sport, media, and interactive content. With these multifaceted collaborations, we're able to bring the most authentic experiences to fans and expand into new ways to watch, create, compete, connect, and participate in sport across platforms, business models, and geographies. Our owned IP franchises are some of the most deeply engaging and culturally relevant entertainment properties in the world. Apex Legends is a leading multi-platform franchise with our live service on console and PC driving massive ongoing engagement and a new mobile game that is delivering on our early expectations. 
Engagement Now Sims franchise is also outperforming the market with content that resonates for a broad and diverse audience. We have a proven ability to grow successful long-term live services across our portfolio with ongoing engagement that drives resiliency, reoccurring revenue, and lifetime value for our business. Through all of these experiences, our large global network has grown to nearly 600 million. Every day, our players are forging new friendships and social connections. And with the scale of our network and our team's ability to utilize our data, we can understand where, how, and what our audiences are playing today and where they want to go next. We continue to see Gen Alpha and Gen Z turning to games as their primary form of entertainment, consuming more content than any generation of the past. They love playing with friends, they stay connected with family, and they're creating content at every turn, both in and around their entire gaming experience. Whether they play games from our expansive EA Sports portfolio to fuel their fandom, enjoy the intensity and competition of Apex Legends, or seek adventure in games such as Star Wars Jedi, the next generations of consumers use the power of play to fully immerse and express themselves, to build deeper, more meaningful connections with the communities they identify with and where they feel they belong. They're using games like The Sims to unleash their personal and creative autonomy, building characters and new stories with their friends. Delivering games that fuel creativity, where players can join, compete, and interact with each other through social and immersive experiences is an exciting growth lever for Electronic Arts as we continue to expand and diversify our portfolio and build global online communities spanning more geographies. Games are the social networks of the future. Leading in this highly competitive market requires a strong focus on people. We continue to invest in our culture and in fueling our talent pipeline. The best character artists, animators, graphic designers, data scientists, engineers, and many more talented creators are all joining our team to level up their careers with award-winning franchises and studios. From career development and wellness programs to workplace experiences and technology that inspires collaboration and innovation, we strive to make electronic arts a great place to work and grow. Through our IP, our talent, and our growing network of players, we are adding strength and long-term value to our business. Even with short-term uncertainties, interactive entertainment will continue to evolve and grow, and we are in a very strong position. Now I'll turn the call over to Chris. Thanks, Andrew. As Andrew said, we had another strong quarter, driven by continued healthy engagement from our vast player network across our broad portfolio of live services and games. Net bookings for the first quarter exceeded our expectations, coming in at $1.3 billion dollars driven by our FIFA franchise and the F122 launch. Compared to the prior year, net bookings were down 3% or 1% in constant currency, driven by two game launches last year compared to one this year, offset by strength in the FIFA franchise, the acquisition of Playdemic, and the launch of Apex Legends Mobile. Our live services net bookings grew 8% year-on-year, or 10% in constant currency, again, demonstrating the resiliency of this highly reoccurring revenue stream. On a trailing 12-month basis, live services were 73% of our business, and with regard to full-game sales, digital sales accounted for 65% of units sold through, up four percentage points from last year. We delivered Q1 net revenue of $1.77 billion, also above our expectations, and with a higher mix of console-based revenue, gross margins, and underlying profit were also well above our expectations. 
We saw strength across the entire FIFA franchise during the quarter, particularly with FIFA Online 4 and FIFA Mobile. FIFA Online 4 hit a new high in engagement, and FIFA Mobile delivered its biggest net bookings quarter ever. FIFA 22 is the largest FIFA ever, like to date with regard to net bookings. F122 net bookings also materially outperformed our expectations, and the franchise has become a dependable driver of growth, having delivered double-digit growth for each of the last four years. Andrew highlighted the success of our owned IP games, exemplified by Apex Legends, which saw double-digit net bookings growth again in Q1. Apex Legends Mobile had a successful launch during the quarter, making Apex Legends a leading multi-platform global franchise. Operating expenses were up 11% on last year, in line with our expectations as we continue to invest in our development teams and new product launches. Operating cash flow for the quarter was negative $78 million, and we returned to further $373 million to shareholders through dividends and our ongoing share repurchase program. Turning now to guidance, we are maintaining our full-year net bookings guidance of $7.9 to $8.1 billion, up 5 to 8% year-on-year, or 8 to 11% in constant currency. Now, let me give a little bit more color within this range. First, based on current exchange rates, we see nearly 100 million of incremental net bookings headwind within our full year guidance, or about one point of growth, which mostly impacts the second half of our year. As rates remain quite volatile, we'll provide a more current update in our Q2 earnings call about the expected half two impact. Second, we're seeing some shifts within our business. We expect the strong Q1 results in our EA sports and racing portfolio to continue offsetting the anticipated impact of an overall softer mobile market. This mix shift has a positive benefit to gross margins and therefore minimizes the likely increased impact of FX on our underlying profitability. We expect fiscal 23 gap revenue to be $7.6 to $7.8 billion and cost of revenue to be $2.02 to $2.065 billion. Our expectations for operating expenses are unchanged at 4.2 to $4.315 billion, and we anticipate earnings per share of $2.79 to $2.87. Our guidance for operating cash flow also remains unchanged at $1.6 to $1.65 billion. With capital expenditures of about $200 million, that would deliver free cash flow of about $1.4 to $1.45 billion. See our earnings slides and press release for further cash flow information. Turning to the quarter, we expect Q2 fiscal 23 net bookings to be $1.725 to $1.775 billion, driven by the launch of Madden 23 on August 19th and FIFA 23 on September 30th. Both Madden and FIFA benefit from having built decades-long relationships with their passionate player communities and broader sports ecosystems, and we're seeing strong pre-launch momentum for these reliably well-performing titles. For the second quarter, we expect gap net revenue of $1.85 to $1.9 billion. Cost of revenue to be $467 million to $480 million, and operating expenses of approximately $1.036 to $1.041 billion. This results in earnings per share of $0.78 to $0.86 for the quarter. Our strong first quarter reflects the continued healthy engagement from our vast player network across our broad portfolio. We're confident in our ability to execute with discipline 
navigating through a more uneven market with a robust have-to slate and the durable power of our live services model to deliver continued growth in fiscal 23. Now, I'll hand the call back over to Andrew. Thanks, Chris. It's been a good start to the year. While the macro outlook remains fluid, every one of us at Electronic Arts is focused on the things we can control. Even amidst market uncertainty, more people than ever before are turning to games as the primary choice for entertainment. This is what they love to do more than anything else, and it's how they want to connect and share experiences with people around the world. With gaming so central to our lives today, EA is uniquely well-positioned with a broad demographic reach of our portfolio and the strongest content pipeline in our history. Leveraging the talents of the best teams in the industry, we are poised to lead this next chapter of entertainment and to continue building long-term value in our company. As we move into the Q&A portion of the call, I want to take a moment to welcome Laura Miele. As Chief Operating Officer, Laura has a deep connection to our business, from game creation and our studios to revenue generation and our commercial organization. Laura will join us to add her strategic perspective and insights on the business. Now, Chris, Laura, and I are here for your questions. If you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Eric Sheridan with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Thanks so much for taking the question. Hope everyone on the team is well. Maybe two big picture questions if I can, um, Andrew. First, you know, with where we are in the console cycle and how there still continues to be a lot of supply chain and logistic challenges globally, can you talk a little bit about your current thinking on this console cycle versus historical precedents and how you plan on org- uh, uh, sort of building the organization on the content side to align when we get to sort of mass deployment of the next generation of consoles. We'd love your view on that first. And then obviously on the mobile gaming side, we continue to see a lot of challenges on distribution and go-to-market and monetization. Can you talk a little bit about your efforts to realign the organization for this sort of new world order for mobile and how you think about capitalizing on that opportunity over the next couple of years? Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Eric. <clears throat> um, two two great questions. Um, I'm going to get a bunch. I'm going to hand off to Laura a little bit on mobile structure. Uh, she's been working very closely with the team on how we're thinking about that future. Um, in terms of console cycle, first, you know, we're still really early in this console cycle. So our expectation, typically, um, our console partners think about console cycles cycles on a 10-year time horizon, um, and so we're still really early. And while there are some some com- supply chain constraints. Um, I think what we're hearing from our partners is that we, that we feel like they're going to ease up towards the back half and certainly into next year. But the most important thing that we're seeing is demand is off the charts. And um, I think we heard Microsoft say they're, they're in a, as good a position as they've ever been in terms of uh, their, their console sales and their console demand. And we also know that Sony consoles um, are in deep demand. And as the supply chain starts to ease, our expectation is that more and more people pick up that next console. So as we think about, you know, what is the next eight years of this cycle, um, you should expect that we'll continue to invest deeply in our, uh, in our existing owned IP, uh, in our EA Sports portfolio. But you should also expect that as we get through that cycle, um, we're investing deeper into our slate to have a stronger pipeline down the back half of the cycle. And the good news about that for gamers is when we have a cycle that goes for this long and we're able to invest on this time horizon, the quality of the software and the nature of the experience we're able to deliver 
um, gets better every single year. And so we're, we're looking at this in the same way we have in the past. Now, I think your next question on mobile is also a really important one because what we also know as these cycles um, continue is mobile plays a big part. PC continues to play a big part. Over time, cloud gaming will also play a big part. And so we're layering other mechanisms for this global community of three and a half billion people who currently play games to interact with the content and services we provide. At a macro level, you know, mobile continues to be the world's largest gaming platform, three and a half billion people. It's hard to imagine any other platform having that kind of reach. For us, we also see that it gives us reach in markets where we typically haven't been as strong. And as we've talked about our FIFA mobile business growing on mobile, we've actually seen the, the, the majority of that growth happen in markets where typically we have not been able to monetize that experience in the same way, given the limited penetration of consoles or the premium uh, model in those, in those markets. So long term, we continue to believe that mobile is going to represent an incredibly strong opportunity for us. You know, you know, for on a global basis, it's about 50% of the gaming industry. Uh, it's about 17% of our business. So that represents tremendous upside for us. And so what Laura's really been working with the team on, uh, particularly with our most recent acquisitions, is how can we build one single mobile organization that's really targeted at the future, a future where brands really matter, network really matters, and incredible teams really matter. And I'd hand off to Laura to add a little bit more detail. Yes, um, thanks, Andrew, and thanks, Eric, for the question. Um, we have successfully integrated Glue and Playdemic into our business, into one mobile organization that is actually seeing growth year over year, and we continue to expect um, to see that in the coming years. Um, and as Andrew mentioned, um, you know, there's an outside strategic value that mobile brings to our portfolio. It has a significant contribution and impact on the ecosystems of our big franchises. So. One example, we've discussed the success of FIFA Mobile, and when we look at our player profile, 46% of our FIFA Mobile players were located in Asia Pacific and, and um, Latin America compared to just 28% for our HD players. So we see this as a significant expansion of the overall ecosystem for these big brands that we have. It's also an amazing entry point for one of the largest growth drivers for us with Gen Z and Gen Alpha players. And of course, as Andrew mentioned, it's a dominant engagement platform for emerging markets. And then as we think about cross-platform play, also for our franchises. So we are um, optimistic, um, not just about the individual mobile business, but the strategic impact mobile brings to our overall growth um, plans that we have for the future. Your next question comes from the line of David Karnofsky with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking the question. Uh, just to follow up on Chris's commentary for a softer mobile market in the back half, I think that's how I heard it. Um, can you maybe just walk through some of the drivers of that? Is that um, something specific with your pipeline, or is that more related to broader factors like the economy or UA challenges at some of the platforms? Yeah, I think we're seeing some uh, macro uh, mobile slowdown. At least that's what we're we're hearing about. Our, our model, you know, establishes uh, is built on the basis that we'll see some slowdown in the macro mobile market. Again, our mobile business, on balance, is doing very well inside of this, um, and so we're we're confident in our core business. We're confident in our core franchises. But we are, you know, we are seeing kind of a macro slowdown. I think there's probably a few different reasons for that. Um, one is I think the market is still working through, you know, IDFA, 
um, and how to deal with that. Again, in a world where we have brands that matter and a strong network of players and incredible technology, we feel like that we're able to navigate that very well. Um, two, I think we're, you know, we're dealing with some tough COVID comps. Um, mobile benefited greatly through COVID. Um, and three, uh, if, you've, if you've traveled at all over the summer, I think the world is on vacation. Uh, and so, you know, if you speak to any of um, the travel companies, they will tell you they're seeing unprecedented levels of travel. And I think that might also have uh, some impact. Um, long term, though, when we come back to this, um, it represents three and a half billion players. Uh, it represents a way for us to access players in markets that our traditionalist does not. Uh, we think that the future is going to lend itself to big, important entertainment brands. Um, and brands that exist across platforms. Uh, and we think that the overall ecosystem will be strong. And so while, you know, we, we, ne we never want to go into a market overly confident, we always want to use, you know, strong discipline with how we plan for the market. Um, we're confident in our business, uh, but even as we hear about some softness in the market, we just want to account for that as we move into the second half of the year. Okay. Maybe I can just also follow up with one about economic risk more broadly. Um, I think we've tended to think historically of PC console games as kind of recession resistant, just given the cheap cost on a per hour basis of the content. But wondering how you think that kind of dynamic holds up today, just given the industry has shifted so much towards live services, um, but then also increasing player engagement for things like subscription. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, typically, as we've looked through past macro challenges, our industry has done extremely well um, relative to everything else that's going on around it, even relative to other forms of entertainment. There's a few reasons for that. One, um, it's highly interactive uh, and it's deeply engaging and represents extraordinary value for money. Um, two, entertainment is kind of a fundamental human need. And even as humanity has dealt with you know, many challenges through its course, Entertainment has always risen at the top as something that has brought us together. Um, as we think about the business now versus the last, you know, macro challenges that, you know, we may have faced, I think the good news with live services is that we have more people um, engaging in our games for more time and more deeply connected to each other. Um, all of those things um, speak to, I think, real strength of the nature of the live service business that we operate in today. I think there is one open question, if we were to have one, which is in a world where you can engage deeply without spending, how we will see spending through this period uh, in the context of live services. Um, what I said in the prepared remarks is what we're focused on is the things that we can really control, which is driving deep engagement, uh, because what we know about engagement in our business, particularly in the context of our live services, is over the lifetime of an experience. Um, if we can continue to drive really strong engagement across the portfolio and across our 600 million strong community um, that the lifetime value we've protected over time. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Urquitz with Jeffries. Your line is open. Hey, great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for letting me ask a couple of questions here. The first one, I, I, probably for Laura, but uh, just generally, um, COVID obviously impacted the way people played games, but it also impacted greatly um, how games were being made. We've seen a ton of uh, a lot of uh, delays in, in 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 the industry. Where do you think we're at? Uh, are, are we to a point where delays will become fewer and 
uh, fewer? Like, how do you feel about uh, making games today in the current environment? Hi, Andrew. Thanks for the question. Really great question. Um, a couple things. Yes, we did see initially um, some disruptions in how our teams make games. But I will say, and I've said so many times, I am just blown away by the ingenuity and creativity of our teams and how they have adapted to get to not only a more productive place but a, um, a highly creative place in how they're creating games. And so we've seen a lot of progress, actually, in um, how the rhythm and how our teams um, have created operating systems and processes around how to, how to create games. And that said, um, we are seeing more people come back to the office. Um, we are here in our office in our headquarters right now in person, and so and we've been traveling around visiting studios. Andrew was in the U.K. last week visiting our racing teams there. So we're seeing more people come back, and we're also seeing people um, adapt to um, productivity and environments that are more meaningful and productive for them and for their creativity. So I would say that what we've learned is that having people and teams in place in the beginning of a production cycle for development and then usually at the end as we final um, has become critical, and our teams have adapted incredibly well um, on the production side, and, um, and sometimes it's more meaningful for them to be in the office together, and sometimes they are more productive from home. So we're seeing um, a, a really strong um, adaptation to how the teams are developing. So, so we believe we are in our new rhythm, um, and we are going to continue to evolve that um, as time goes on. We also have seen a really strong demand in um, people joining um, our company. Um, people choose to work with companies that they have a strong value and, and moral attachments to, um, as well as clearly, um, you know, compensation is really important. But people really want to have um, a connection, emotional and personal connection to where they are. And we've seen um, a really strong um, demand and, and desire to, to um, work here. So we're seeing um, a, a really good um, good options for us to bring new talent in, and, um, and we're seeing um, our teams and infrastructure um, adapt to a new work environment. Got it. No, I really appreciate that color, Laura. Um, sw switching over to uh, thinking about kind of medium to long-term growth, uh, you guys, I, I believe, I mean, you've announced or this, we've speculated that there's quite a few single-player games coming. Um, how, how should we think about um, growth from that from that vector? Uh, should, should, these, should these be bigger in scale so that, you know, they'll, they'll each kind of comp uh, one after another nicely? Or uh, is it a quantity game where, you know, you launch one big one and then we get a couple after that? How, how should we think about comping? Uh, the single-player games going forward as we build our models uh, over the next couple of years. Thanks. Yeah, and, and maybe Chris could add some detail on the model. Um, the way we think about this is really less about um, which game and more about which motivations do these games fulfill. So what we know about our players is on balance they have these core motivations, inspiration, escape, social connection, competition, you know, self-improvement, creation, these things that, you know, bring us together as players of games. Um, and the, the, the creation of worlds and the building of characters and the telling of stories is, a, is really important in the fulfillment of some of those motivations. So when we think about our portfolio and we think about building it out, we really think about it on two key vectors. One, how can we tell incredible stories 
And two, how can we build tremendous online communities? And then how do we bring those two things together? And so the way you should, when you look at our portfolio, what you should be looking for is how are we doing that? How are we building these worlds and telling these stories? How are we developing global online communities? And how are we bringing those two things together for the, for the fulfillment of motivations? And what we see when we get that is, one, we grow our network. And two, we grow the amount of time that players in our network spend in and around our games. And as we think about single-player games, we think it's a really, really important part of the overall portfolio that we deliver in the fulfillment of those core motivations. And the way we'll plan for it over time is really just looking at our community and looking at how they're spending their time and looking at where motivations may or may not be fulfilled. And we'll look to supplement that with the addition of new online games, new multiplayer games, and new single-player games. Yeah, Andrew, uh, and maybe if I could just add on top of that. I, uh, Andrew, um, our Andrew here uh, explained it well, but as we think about the model impact and the financial impact of that, I mean, I think the first thing to always keep in mind is that live services still encompasses, you know, on a training 12-month basis, over 70% of our business, and that has been a proven, very reliable, highly reoccurring revenue stream, and that will still be the predominant driver in our uh, P&L long-term. Second, we've talked a lot about the areas of investment that we're making, and that's both in the live service as well as some of the single title launches that you've seen. And so over the course of time, we'll continue to invest in our long-term growth. We'll continue to invest in the ongoing stable performance of our live services business, and, uh, and there'll be some puts and takes along the way. Got it. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Omar Dasuki with Bank of America. Your line is open. Hi, thanks so much for taking my question. Um, you mentioned that Apex Legends Mobile uh, was successful versus your expectations, and I wanted to, to double-click on that. Um, you know, by what measures uh, would you consider Apex Legends Mobile's launch uh, successful, and is bookings one of those measures? Um, and then have you launched Apex Legends Mobile uh, in all the geographies that you've intended, and how should we think about uh, the second half advertising intensity of Apex Legends Mobile uh, compared to what we've seen so far, especially in light of your comments on a, a weaker mobile uh, um, environment in the second half. And then I have a Hi, Omar. Hi, Mark. Well, um, first, yes, we are pleased with the launch of the game. It has met, met our expectations for the quarter. Um, and what we saw with Apex Legends on console, as we all know, was it was a massive uptake in the beginning and then followed by stabilization and really steady growth um, over the life cycle of the game. And we expect the same um, of this title on mobile. And in fact, this is a pattern seen by many mobile shooters. There are many years of um, revenue and return generation to be had, um, particularly when you look at the shooter category. And we, um, and we expect the same thing to be true for um, Apex Mobile. Um, and keep in mind, we are currently in week eight. So many years ahead, and we are in week eight um, just getting started. One thing we know is we are, we're, we're very good at listening to our community, and we know how to respond to the needs of players and then the game dynamics um, that are required to respond. And keep in mind as well, we have an incredible team on this. We have Respawn, who is just best in class in um, the business for shooters. 
We have a meaningful mobile infrastructure now to execute globally with the additions of Glue and Playdemic and our mobile organization. And we also have an exceptional partnership with Tencent. So we are, we've met our expectations, we're encouraged, and we also know we have a significant runway um, ahead of us on this, on this title. Um, as it relates to advertising, um, we are, again, looking at advertising as a dimension of our mobile business, um, though this is one that um, is primarily going to be focused on the, intern, um, the internal game monetization. Um, that's how we're looking at the optimization of return um, on our investment in Apex. Oh, okay, I guess you know, in the context of you know this this weakening mobile macro environment for the second half, um, and kind of a, a stable expense guide, you know, does your stable expense guide uh, assume more or less or the same uh, investment in mobile user acquisition? Um, for Apex, we are um, it is we're holding it um, steady, so we are not changing our outlook on um, our investment. Um, or the return, so we're, we're holding that um, for now. But again, as we, the, the great thing about the, the mobile business is it's quite dynamic, and we're able to use multiple levers um, as it relates to game changes, um, evaluate engagement, and evaluate the return that we're seeing. Um, but at this time, we aren't changing our outlook on our investment or the revenue return that we get from that. Okay. And just a quickie, again, on Apex Legends uh, PC console this time. Um, does your guide for the full year uh, uh, include any kind of um, effect from competition of new shooters that may be launching this fall? No, I, um, the way I would think about that, Omar, is that you know our guide takes into account what we view as the overall market conditions. Uh, Apex Legends had double-digit growth again in Q1. We're anticipating the full year to continue to gr grow on that uh, very important franchise, and it does take into account both the things that we control from a from an execution standpoint, as well as what we view as the market conditions, and that's all factored into the guidance that you heard. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from the line of Mario Liu with Farclays. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking questions. Uh, just to follow up on Apex, um, you know, with the mobile game coming out mid-quarter, um, did it have any impact? if any, on the console PC version in terms of bookings and users? Uh, in other words, did growth kind of uh, uh, pick up or slow down uh, post the, the mobile launch? Um, hi, Mario. Thanks for the question. You know, it's so early to, um, to be candid, but what we are seeing is we are seeing tens of millions of new players coming into Apex, and we're seeing a significant impact in geographies um, and growth in geographies as far as penetration of the brand and the experience that um, are expanding the Apex brand um, in places that the high def and PC console um, didn't necessarily. So it's um, again more expansion into emerging markets and a lot a lot of new players coming into the brand that we're optimistic about. But it's early days for us to understand um, to see how things will, will play out. We have a new season coming on the high def and PC uh, game uh, in, in about a few weeks here. And so we will study and understand the impact that mobile has had on that. Um, so more to come in our next earnings uh, potentially on the context around the impact on the overall business. Great. That's helpful. And, and just one on FIFA. Um, you guys mentioned the whole franchise, you know, was strong during the quarter. Uh, was there anything in particular that drove uh, the strength in CFO online? Um, and then can you guys remind us, um, you know, once the FIFA, you know, license rolls off, like what happens to these 
kind of persistent games like FIFA Online and uh, FIFA Mobile? Is it just a simple kind of rename, or how's that going to work? Thank you. Yeah, so let, let, I'll have Laura um, take the first part on just, you know, the performance in the court, and then I'll talk a little bit bro- more broadly about, uh, you know, how we think about the franchise going forward. Yeah, so on FIFA Online um, for performance, the studio has studied and strongly focused for the last few years on efforts to improve the gameplay feel, and this has really started to pay off in um, player sentiment. So we continue to deepen our relationship with our players. Um, We have strong partners as we go to market in Asia, and we're factoring the feedback into the game development. We're also seeing improved marketing and the growth of popularity of global football in Korea, which has had a big impact on the business. And, and more broadly, as we said, we're going to launch the most expansive FIFA ever uh, this year. I think it's extraordinary, and demand is, is really strong. I was, I was just in Europe, and I was bumping into young kids, and they'd find out I was doing it. They'd already pre-ordered FIFA, which was extraordinary. <laughs> um, I think we're seeing growth in the sport. Of course, we've got a World Cup year, and so our, our belief is that this is going to be a very strong year for our FIFA business. Um, what the way that, and without going, you know, broadly into the mechanics of, um, you know, our relationship with FIFA or contracts or what have you, what you should expect is that we will launch the the most expansive FIFA ever. Um, we will then continue to sell that in the market, and we have um, the ability to continue to do that. Um, and then, you know, we will begin launching the EA Sports FC brand more deliberately. Um, and and uh, and more broadly in the market beyond again what we did you know earlier this year where we had you know nearly 200 about 300 partners came out uh, and promoted the EA Sports FC brand as a brand that we all collectively own the 300 partners Electronic Arts and our community of you know many hundreds of millions of players around the world. And so while the name of the game will change, the nature of the experience and the connection that players have to the game, to the leagues and teams they love, and to the players they play with and play against in the community that's many hundreds of millions strong. You know, none of that changes. Um, We'll invest, you know, strongly into that, um, and we're very excited about what that future will bring. And again, we, we announced our new La Liga partnership, which is going to expand on the nature of things we can do. And you remember, as we've talked about this through, we have been deeply grateful for our partnership with FIFA, which has existed for nearly 30 years, and we've built a tremendous business together. But we've, we've been very excited every conversation we've had about the types of things we're going to be able to do with our partners and for our community in the context of the blurring of the lines of football fandom between linear and interactive, what we do in the virtual world and what we do in the real world, what we watch on television, what we experience in-game. And what we've announced with La Liga is just the first step of that. And you should imagine that we'll continue to build and expand on this opportunity to truly bring together what is the largest global football community around a brand that we all own together, EA Sports FC. Very helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Eric Hansler with MKM Partners. Your line is open. Yes, good afternoon, and thanks for the question. I'm um, wondering if you could talk about uh, two franchises. First, uh, with F1 showing growth on a year-to-year basis, this is your second year now um, with the title. Anything you're doing differently from a marketing perspective to, or just a game perspective to um, drive uh, drive the improved numbers there? 
And then secondly, with regards to the SIMS, I think you just had your first expansion pack in about a year. Um, can you maybe talk about what's been going on there? Sorry. Thanks, Eric, for <laughs> the question. I was muted there. Um, we, we remain incredibly bullish and excited about the F1 business. Um, and I would say that the development teams have integrated well um, into electronic arts, and I think that they're seeing some of the benefits of our scale globally. And certainly when you look at our marketing and commercial divisions, I mean, we've had um, some of the developers actually comment and, and note um, the global footprint and reach and impact they've been able to have through our um, presence that we have um, with our marketing teams, commercial teams, and just in commercial partnerships that they just haven't been able to benefit from before. So we're seeing um, strong development um, impact from the leadership we have here, probably mostly in this year's release. Um, and we are very optimistic about some of the dimensions of the game that we're going to bring um, to market in the, in the years ahead. And then just the strength um, EA Sports brand and um, the really strong marketing commercial teams that we have. And for the Sims question, um, you mentioned, so we, we, we um, one of my favorite things about the Sims business is um, how healthy and strong it is. Um, we, we actually release game packs, content, and expansion packs um, several a year. Um, so we are persistently um, connected to our players in that community, and um, we are pretty excited about how strong um, and the size of this business after um, about 10 years we've had this Sims 4 um, brand out. So um, this is something that we persistently put content into the player community and, um, and we'll continue to do that for the years to come. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mike Hickey with The Benchmark Company. Your line is open. Hey, Andrew, Chris, Laura. Chris, uh, congrats on the quarter. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Thanks, two, Mike. Two questions. <laughs> no problem. Uh, first question, sort of broad-ranging here, but um, really exciting news, at least for me, and I think the community on skate and your decision, your team's decision to move from a sort of premium plus live service release uh, to what looks like a, a pure free-to-play live service. So just kind of curious, qualitative or quantitative, the decision-making process to move from what was sort of a, I think, kind of highly anticipated premium launch to a pure free-to-play, that there's sort of a, a quality level or a unit expectation that is sort of part of the, the process there to move to, to pure free-to-play. And, and if this is sort of maybe the, the beginning of uh, seeing this in other genres, sort of those lower-tier sports games uh, that, um, you know, sort of the three to five million units, whether it's auto racing or MMA, uh, that may be better as live services in this market versus premium and follow-up. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great question. Uh, I'll start and then I'll, I'll hand over to Laura, who's been working, you know, deeply with the team. Um, the first thing is, I, as I was saying earlier, um, you know, we really see growth in our future built on on two key vectors. One, the ability to create worlds and, and, and characters and tell stories, and that was to build, you know, really large global online communities. When we look at Skate, you know, I, I think what's happened is our ambitions have continued to grow. As we've seen what the team has been able to do around um, that experience, 
I think we continue to see opportunity. Um, skateboarding is kind of a cultural language for you know many generations. It transcends so many things, certainly geography. And as we think about the ability to bring a global community of youth together through the language of skateboarding, we think this represents one of the biggest and strongest opportunities we have to build a global online community deeply engaged in a world that involves creativity both from us and from them, experiencing what starts out as skateboarding and almost certainly reaches more deeply into the cultural sensibilities of a generation. So as we thought about that, we really took a step back and evaluated how best we to deliver that. And Laura's been working with the teams on, on how they've thought through that puzzle. So one of the um, one of the most important growth potential that we have as a company is how we show up for Gen Z and Gen Alpha players, how they socially connect, how they consume content. So there's been a significant focus um, from the team on this. And I, I'll talk about the team for a minute. We have some of the original creative leaders from the original Skate franchise. So um, much of the DNA and goodness that um, people loved about Skate exists in the team. And then we also brought in someone, um, Daniel McCullough, who ran the Xbox Live platform. So he deeply understands the art and nuance of social connection, social engagement, and how to nurture a community. Um, and, and third, you know, I think that Skate, back in the day, Skate was a bit even ahead of its time. It was a, a lot of the core motivation around our Skate experience was around creative self-expression and, um, and social connection and, and competition, and, and we are bringing that to life um, in the biggest way um, we possibly can. So more to come on this. We are in community testing now. Um, we're very close to this um, skate community to get feedback, um, and we're, we're, we're pretty optimistic about um, how we're going to be coming to market soon. Nice. Thanks, Andrew. Laura, a second question, uh, Andrew, a bit awkward here, uh, but bear with me. The um, sort of subsequent, your, your last call, there was a, a media article that came out sort of related to consolidation. It sort of framed you as uh, persistently pursuing a, a sale, which was, I think, kind of somewhat unsettling or, or at least puzzling to, to the investment community, uh, our clients, and we get a lot of questions on it. So just curious if you can sort of provide some framework around that or, or clarification or sort of your motivation to run a standalone company or otherwise. Thanks. Um, first, I'm sure you don't expect me to comment on rumors and speculation from some, you know, so small, small red media outlets, but be that as it may, I would tell you, I think we are in an incredible position. Um, we are, you know, we're soon to be the largest standalone independent developer and publisher um, of interactive entertainment in the world. I think we have the most incredible teams in our industry on the planet, as Laura spoke to earlier, we're attracting more and more incredible creative talent. We have a community uh, that's 600 million strong um, that is growing, and certainly we're well on our way to our aspirations of being able to, to engage a billion people in play across the planet. Um, I think we're growing across platforms, we're growing across business models, and we're growing um, across geographies. Uh, and in a world where gaming is becoming more important to the lives of Gen Z and Gen Alpha, who will be the leading generation um, in terms of consumption and entertainment for the future, I don't think we could be in a stronger position as a standalone company. Um, our objective always, and my objective as the CEO of this company, is always 
to take care of our people, our players, and our shareholders. And should there ever be a way for us to do that differently than the way we're doing it today, I, of course, have to be open to that. But I would tell you today we feel very, very confident and excited for our future. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Doug Kruitz with Cowan. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Um, since the last conference call, you guys announced uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Um, your your fiscal Q4 uh, big IP title is still unspecified in your current guidance. And just wondering if, since you've announced Star Wars, should we assume that therefore that isn't the Star Wars game, or should we not assume anything? Uh, I think the advice would be do not assume anything. Uh, we will name the titles and, and fill in the blanks uh, at the appropriate times. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Doug. That is all the time we have for questions. This does conclude today's conference call. Thank you for joining us. You may now disconnect.